Hello friends, welcome to Village Idiots for Christ podcast. We're in Isaiah 53 today. My apologies for the last three weeks. I was at home for 18 days um, till the 30th of May, or actually till the first, I mean the first of May and the 18 day previous. I took a two week vacation to get my wife settled in her new place, did some renovations and all around lots of stuff. So it was uh, it was really a productive time, but it really it just uh, kept me from being involved in ministry at this time. I was ministering to the wife, so so I'm getting back to the podcast, getting back to the poetry and all of that. So uh, we just happen to be in Isaiah 53. It's all about Jesus. This whole thing is about the Lord and uh, who He is. And in fact, um, Orthodox Jews, uh, it's a true statement. Orthodox Jews avoid 53 they won't read 53 it's so much like the account of that we believe of jesus that a lot of jewish people won't touch isaiah 53 with a 10-foot pole so uh, we're not going to break this up if this goes 10 if this goes 15 or 20 minutes i don't want to break this up this is worth savoring taking our time over it took 30 minutes today i wouldn't break this up i don't want to isaiah 53 is precious and so it was written 700 years before Jesus was here. So God is the only one that can write history in advance. And uh, the Bible is the only book that, that teaches history in advance. Thousands of years in advance, if you go back to Daniel and others. So anyway, yeah, Daniel's like 3,000 years ago. So something like that. So you, you, you get a, an idea of Isaiah 2,700 years ago. So you get an idea of who God is and what he, what he can do. So, anyway, let's just jump in. Enough of this introduction. Again, my apologies for being gone. Hope you all enjoy getting back into this. Tomorrow will be Revelation Wednesday, as, as usual. So, let's just jump in. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So, the question is, who's going to believe? Who sees the revelation of God's, of uh, of the arm of the Lord, or Jesus? Who sees... The revelation of Jesus, and according to Jesus himself, not too many. The narrow road that leads to life is is minuscule, is tiny, and only a few find it. It's narrow, only a few find it. So, again, who has believed our message? Not enough, not nearly enough people believe in Christ. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry, dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So this is verse 2. So God, on purpose, made Jesus plain. He wasn't an Arnold Schwarzenegger, a Clint Eastwood, a John Wayne, you know, any of these guys, these guys of tall stature, and he was probably just an ordinary-looking guy like most of us. There was nothing, nothing, God didn't want us to be attracted to his physical appearance and worship him because he looked like a god or looked like one of these muscle men or something like this. God wanted us to hear his own heart through the words of his son that he gave him to say. Let's read this again. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. So again, a root out of dry ground is just, it doesn't, it doesn't perform well. It's dry ground. So it, it, Jesus was like that. He was, um, God wanted to make Jesus as ordinary as possible so it could all be about his heart. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us. God wanted no flesh involved with Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one who men hide their faces, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Why? 
Well, one of the reasons is Jesus was unmarried. If you weren't married in your teens or early 20s in the Jewish culture, there was something wrong with you. And there was a, there was a looking at you sideways. Perhaps you were a little different. Jesus was 30, between 30 and 33 in his earthly ministry, and he wasn't, he wasn't married. So people would have looked at him sideways. And imagine, again, being a perfect person on the earth where you never sin, you never get in trouble, you never do anything wrong. The only account we have of Jesus is in Luke at 12, where he spends three days in the temple teaching the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he's misplaced. His parents lose him for three days and then freak out, you know, like, oh my gosh, where's our son? They finally find him. But Jesus didn't sin. It's just that Jesus was so caught up in who he was, you know, that he... He spent all that time in the temple and was just caught up in his father in the temple. But that's he didn't sin. So imagine being a person without sin living in a sinful world. You would be rejected. Let's read it again. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, he may be a guy that got beat up all the time because he wouldn't defend himself. He probably completely humbled himself all the time. Amen. And people like that are looked at as weak in the earth. Verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. So he took up our sicknesses, he took up our disease, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken. It's amazing. He did all of these things for man. He did all of these things to get his father across to people. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Man, we didn't, we, the people of his time and people today still do not understand who Jesus is. They, they looked at him as, a, they look at him as a curse when he's the ultimate blessing on the earth. Getting some water here, kids. Amen. Um, and he, but he yet and yet even with all of that he took up our infirmities infirmities our sicknesses and he carried away our sorrows man what a good what a good god god is verse 5 he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed here's piercing he was pierced for our transgressions this was written before crucifixion was invented yet it speaks about him being pierced he was pierced in his hands in his feet and in his side so he was pierced for us he was crushed for our iniquities our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds were healed when you receive christ you are justified. What that means is God no longer sees you in sin. He sees you as he sees, as he saw his son, as he's always seen his son in sinless perfection. The word justification in the Greek means to be made innocent as if you had never sinned. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You are a new creation. You are born again. That's the point of the born again. We were born under Adam under sin, and now we're born under righteousness, Christ. And God sees you the way he sees his son without sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It just means he doesn't reckon your sin back to you. And again, the, 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 the thing that people get into, wasn't well, that a license to sin? No, it's freedom to serve God without the penalty of sin weighing you down.
We don't. If you if you're truly in this all the way, if you are all the way in Christ, you don't want to sin against Him anyway. And when you do sin, you're quick to repent. So many people always bring up the license to sin thing. No, this is a license to serve. This is a license to have a sacrificial life. This is a license not to be burdened by your old self and all the sin. This is to see yourself as God sees you, in sinless perfection. Isn't that amazing how he sees us? And he wants us to see ourselves that way. He wants us to see that we are new creations. Not again, again, that he's left the gift of repentance with us. When you had a bad day and you fall short, you immediately go, you know, I'm sorry about that, God. I know this isn't who I really am, but the flesh got me, the devil got me, and I repent. Sorry about that. And you just keep walking with him. That's the point. The point is seeing yourself after the cross, seeing yourself after Christ, not seeing yourself after your old man, your sin nature. We're not supposed to be sin conscious. We're supposed to be righteous. Christ became our sin, our iniquity, that we might become the very righteousness of God. All that Jesus was and is, we have been made. Not that we're the Son of God, but we are children of God, just like He is the Son of God. Amen. Uh, he was pierced for our trinity, he was crushed for our iniquities. Our iniquities, he literally became our sin. That's, that's why God crushed him, to pay so that he could pay for our sin in his mortal body. Uh, he, the punishment that was the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse six: We all are like sheep, have, having gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of it all, of us all. There is not one sinless man outside of Christ. Again, we have. We all, we all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. You know, they talk about the 99 on the hill and the one roaming away. We all are that one. We all are the one roaming away from Christ. All of us are roaming away from God. Have, since early, since early in our lives, roamed away from God. We were born with a sin nature. We're, we're prone to wander from God. Uh, and we've each turned to our own way, our own way in pride. Oh, I know better. I can do this. This is what I want to do. The me, 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 myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And the Lord has laid up, laid, or the Father, God, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sin that ever has been or ever would be was laid upon Christ. Imagine that the sin, singular, not the sins, plural, the sin of the whole world. Every sin ever committed was laid upon Christ. And each person through simple faith and repentance receives that gift. And then his sin is reckoned to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Let's continue on. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a, like, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. He set his face, the Bible says somewhere else, he set his face like flint. He refused to answer their false charges. And he was innocent. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He did not offer any defense at all. The one, the one thing he said, Again, it wasn't an answer, but he said he wasn't answering for himself. He said when he was first brought before the chief priest that night, the night he was, you know, the night before the day when he was crucified, that Friday night or whatever night it was, he said, don't ask me. He said, look, talk to the people that, I, that I've preached to. They're all here. You can ask them what I said. He wasn't trying to defend himself because he didn't need to defend himself. Amen. He again, like, and like a lamb led to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and he took on that form. He was silent like a, like a lamb about to be sheared. He was, uh, did not open his mouth as he was a lamb led to the slaughter. It's amazing. 
Amazing. I love what he says in the garden. He says to Peter, do not think that if I call upon my father, he would at, at once you know, send more than 12 legions of angels to protect me. But then how would my father's word be fulfilled? He, at, at any time he had wanted to bail, he had the choice. And there's people that teach he didn't have a choice. He had to have a choice. He had to have a free will. He had to have the same choice Adam had. He was the second Adam. He had to have the same choice Adam had in the garden. Had to. Now, his father knew he wouldn't sin, but he had to have a free will. Adam was told by God, Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree. Jesus had to have the same choice for it to be real. If he, had ne- if he didn't have a choice, it wouldn't have been real. He had a choice. But again, his father knew he'd make the right choice for knowledge, but he had a choice. And he, at any moment, Jesus said, don't you think I can call on my father and he'll send 12 legions of angels to protect me? But how then would my father's word be fulfilled? Man, don't ever think Jesus didn't have a choice. Don't ever think Jesus couldn't have bailed on this thing. He could have, but he chose not to. Let's continue on. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of that people, he was stricken. You know, the, the, I don't know if you've seen the Da Vinci Code with Tom Hanks. That's all about uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene getting together and having a child. The last temptation of Christ, the same kind of crap. You know, Mary Magdalene was close to him. He drove seven demons out of her. Don't you think? I mean, she was one of his followers. She wasn't an apostle. But that doesn't mean Mary, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene and Jesus were having a relationship, a physical, sexual, marriage-type relationship. Because it says right here, by oppression and judgment is taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? He didn't have any descendants. He didn't have any natural children. He wasn't sleeping with Mary Magdalene or any of the women. <laughs> people love to make this. St- I mean, I'm not condemning anybody for making a movie or anything like that. But people get people like to put all these weird spins. But if you just read the Bible right there, he had no descendants. Who can speak of his descendants? He had none. Uh, For he was cut off from the land of living, and for the transgression of my people he was stricken. Amen. Verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So he was assigned a grave with the the wicked and, and with the rich. The he was put in a rich man's tomb. That was a bit, I mean, to have that gigantic stone rolled in front of your tomb and to have it hewn out of, I don't know if it was on the side of a mountain or a big hill or whatever. I'm not sure. I've never seen the place they said was Jesus's tomb, but that was a rich man's grave. So right there, he fulfilled in uh, 53.9 when he was put in that, in that grave where they rolled the big stone, he was put in a rich man's grave. Though he had done no violence and no deceit was in his mouth. Amen. So even in his death, they tried to dishonor him even in his death. Amen. Um, uh, Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's or God's will. It was God's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Man, get this. Yet it was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. You know, you, I see these, I'm a truck driver, and I see these tracks sometimes at truck stops. You know, God, the, if God is good, how did he murder his own son? He didn't murder his own son. He allowed his own son to become the sin offering, the Lamb of God. Why is it the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Because an innocent innocence, re, innocence has to replace guilt. That's why they, they offered up the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament as a picture of an innocent blood being being offered in the place of guilty blood. Jesus' innocent blood was was offered 
up before his father for our guilty blood, for the for the the bloodline, the the Adamic bloodline. We all are are afflicted with the sin nature that we all. He gave his blood. He became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and and that and that's why his father. It was his father's will to crush him. You know, when you if you've ever watched the Passion of the Christ after Jesus was beaten with rods, you know, and he's he's on the ground. This is before they flogged him really badly. He looks up. And I love this part. I, I believe this is the Holy Spirit. But he looks up to looks up to heaven. He's on the ground. He's at the post. He hasn't been he hasn't been flogged yet. Just beaten with rods. And he looks up, and you can see you can tell what God's telling him. It's not enough, son. You have to suffer more. And that's when he stood up and they flogged him where they really tore him to pieces. This was all about him making atonement for our sin in his mortal body. He sinned. Adam, sin came through a man and salvation had to come through a man. That's part of the reason Jesus was born on the earth. And so he... God allowed him to be crushed because, again, remember, God also knew he'd be resurrected from the dead. God also knew this would make him the king of kings and lord of lords. God also knew that he would sit at his right hand forever and ever, that he would rule and reign over over the over the universe forever as his son, as the king of kings and lord of lords. God, the father and the son, both knew they saw the, the future. They saw what was coming. There was the hope that what what all of this suffering it would not only gain children but Jesus would also be glorified through it and he is glorified. That's why looking at the cross and looking at the man on the cross is so important to remember what he did for us. Let's continue on. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he was a guilt offering for us. He took away our guilt so that we could receive his innocence. That's amazing. What an exchange that is through simple faith and repentance. Amen. And he he will see his off, offspring and prolong his days. So he is going to have offspring. See, again, it says right there back in, um, uh, let's see, uh, go back. Um, uh, verse 8, it says, and who can speak of his descendants? He didn't have natural physical descendants, you know, physical children, but he has offspring. Who are the offspring? Us. In Christ, we become the body of Christ. We become his offspring. And there's been billions of them since, <laughs> since he was here. If you count the population world now, those who become Christians, those that have been martyred through the ages, all the unborn children martyred, I mean, are, who, are, who are killed, I'm not martyred, but who are killed in the womb through abortion, they're all his descendants. Anyone that's saved is his descendant. So he, although he had no physical Although he had no physical descendants, he has billions of offspring. Isn't that cool spiritually through, his, through what he did at the cross? Uh, he will see his offspring will prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper. The will of God will prosper in Jesus' hand forever. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth, the millennial reign of Christ, and then he's going to rule and reign by his Father's side for all eternity in the new heavens and new earth. Amazing. Uh, verse 11, after suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Think about that. After the suffering of his soul, he suffered. He suffered the weight of all the sin. He suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Not only is Jesus seeing the light of life, but now he is satisfied. He is satisfied. He has peace now forever in his heart. You know, all of that's behind him. All of that's suffering. All of that's... And now... And now he, he has the light of life 
Even though he was dead, he's alive again, resurrected from the dead, and he is satisfied. He is satisfied. And God is satisfied in what he did for man. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Man, that beautiful. By his knowledge, by the Father's not by the Father's knowledge, his means the Father there, by the Father's knowledge, my righteous servant will justify money. This is God as if God's speaking. By his knowledge, by God's knowledge, my God saying, My righteous servant, that's him speaking of his son, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Wow. Isn't that amazing? By the knowledge of God, Jesus Jesus, the righteous servant. Let me put it another way. By the knowledge of God. Jesus will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He could have justified all, but everyone has to be has to take hold of him. Everyone has to receive him. Um, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will def- divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made transgression, made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. Let's read that again. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. I think it's Ephesians or Philippians says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord, uh, to the glory of God the Father. On his na- on his thigh, and on his robe, and on his thigh. This is glorified Jesus coming back to the earth. On, and it, sh- it says this in Revelation. On his robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will rule and reign with an iron scepter. And he will dash his enemy to pieces. The very words coming out of his mouth as he returns will destroy his enemy. He has the, the word, the sword coming out of his mouth will destroy all of his enemy. No one can stand against him. Again, therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will destroy, he will divide the spoils with the strong. Man. Because why? Why is God, why is God, why is the Father, therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and, will, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Why? Because he poured out, he poured, because he poured out his life unto death. Jesus said, I think it's in John five, that no one takes my life from me, but I lay down my life because the Father has given me the right to lay down my life and to take it up again. He knew, after the suffering of his soul, that he, after he had laid down his life, he would take it up again, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. The innocent Lamb of God, the only innocent man, well, Adam and Eve were innocent up until the time they fall, but the only man that remained innocent his whole life, Jesus, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. So he gave it all for us. We, he was numbered with us, the transgressors. He became like one of us, a transgressor, a sinner. For he bore the sin of many. Again, he could have borne the sin. He did borne the sin of the world, but it is only reckoned by faith that you're saved. So he bore the sin of many. Again, that could have been all if the whole world would take hold of Jesus. But he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. In Hebrew, it says he sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us. This is the one we worship. This is the one. Let me read. Let me read through the whole thing real quick. Let me read the whole thing in context, just so you get the whole flavor of it, and then I'll be done. 
Whom has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But... But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a, la- like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken he was assigned a grave with the wicked with the rich in his death though he had done no violence and no deceit was in his mouth yet it was the lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and though the lord makes his life a guilt offering he will see his offspring and prolong his days he will see the lord and the will of the lord will prosper in his hand after the suffering of his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we worship. That's Jesus Christ, the only way, truth, and life, the only way to the Father, the one who laid down his life, who poured out his innocent blood he's the only way the only truth and the only life and no one comes to the father outside of him he is the only name by which we must be saved he is the king of kings and lord of lords and every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth will bow and acknowledge him as lord he is the only salvation there is there is no other name by which we must be saved this is the glorious Christ, our husband, our friend, our king, our lover, our beloved, our betrothed, the one we are betrothed to. He is everything. He is everything. Knowing this, hearing these words, start reading Song of Solomon. Read a chapter of day and see, the, see yourself as the bride. See Jesus as the bridegroom. Man, it's eight chapters long. You can go through the whole thing almost four times in one month. See yourself as his bride. See the bridegroom's pursuit of you. See that book as it was written, as it was meant to be seen. Us, the bride of Christ, him, the bridegroom pursuing us. That's the one that Isaiah 53 speaks of. That's the one of, to whom we will be with forever and ever. And we will bow down and worship him for all eternity. King of kings and Lord of lords. Love you, love you. Can't get enough of you. Hope you got blessed today. I didn't want to short short shrift this one. Didn't want to cut this into pieces. This has to be spoken. So it's twenty, almost 27 minutes. Again, if you have to break it up because you don't have enough time, just keep picking it up. This is for you, kids. Love you, love you. Can't get enough of you. And so does the Lord. He became your sin that you might be made. You yourself listening to this right now might be made the very righteousness of God. God doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace. He sees you as a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.